reading today is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 24. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now, that, now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram, caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz the firstborn, Buz his brother Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Rumor, also had sons, Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Makkah. Well, and if you can uh, 
guest artist. Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe says, man, you must be putting me on. God say, no. Abe say, what? God say, you can do what you want, Abe, but next time you see me coming, you better run. Abe said, where do you want this killing done? God said, out on highway 61. Anyone? Bob Dylan. Dylan. Brilliant. Bob Dylan. (laughs) Or consider the words, the rather more venomous words, of Richard Dawkins. This disgraceful story is an example simultaneously of child abuse, bullying in two asymmetrical power relationships, and the first recorded use of the Nuremberg defence, I was only obeying orders. What do we do with one of the most shocking stories in scripture? Well, I want to suggest that we don't make light of it like Bob Dylan, and nor do we take our scissors to it and excise it from the Bible, as Richard Dawkins would have us do. But we're going to, this lunchtime, just work through three scenes in this story to see the extraordinary demands that God puts on anyone who chooses to follow him, but also a wonderful picture of what God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. The first scene... Verses 1 to 10, God God commands a dreadful sacrifice. God commands a dreadful sacrifice. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. It's a command that deliberately echoes the command God made to Abraham at the beginning of chapter 12. But this time God doesn't say relocate to a different country that I will show you. He says exterminate your promised child on the mountain that I will show you. And as we read through the rest of the Old Testament, we will see that child sacrifice is consistently condemned as abhorrent in God's eyes. So why does he apparently demand it? Because, verse 1, it is a test. A test. God knows that he will provide a way out, but Abraham doesn't know that yet. It is a test of his faith. Will he trust God enough with the life and death of his son? Verses 3 to 4 show us that he will. He's often questioned God if we've been reading through these chapters of Genesis. But this time there's no questioning, no pushback, just obedience. You notice he gets up early. He gets going. He loads the donkey. He cuts the wood. He sets out. The servants are just spectators. Abraham knows that it is his responsibility to obey God's demand. And that the journey is conducted in ominous silence. No one talks until the 11th hour. Abraham looks up and he sees Mount Moriah in the distance and he he knows that he cannot delay any longer. And as we read the story, don't we just want to know what is going on in his head? Does he pray? What did he say to his wife, Sarah, three days ago when he left home. Well, we're just going out for a while. We'll be back. Why doesn't he object? Well, his first words in the chapter give us an idea of what he's thinking. Verse 5. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Somehow, Abraham believes that Isaac will return from him with him from the mountain. And as the story develops, though, it is also clear that Abraham knows that he must be willing 
to slay Isaac. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So there they are, father and son, trudging up the mountain, father holding his boy's hand, a knife in the other. The boy walking with wood on his back. He's looking around, Father, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Interestingly, in the, in the Hebrew text, that, those words from Abraham are deliberately enigmatic. They could be the affectionate, comforting words of a father as translated here. My son, don't worry, God will provide a lamb. Or it could be more a word spoken to himself, not really meant for Isaac's hearing at all. Something like, God will provide a lamb. That is, my son. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Ever since the beginning of Genesis, we've been waiting for a promised child, a promised son, one who will crush the head of the serpent. And the story has progressed, and as the story has progressed, the kind of target has been on Abraham's son, Isaac, he's going to be the promised one. And now here is Isaac in the crosshairs of a butcher's knife. And this is no pen knife. The only other occasion when the word translated here as knife is used in the Bible is at the end of Judges, and it describes a knife that is used to dismember a corpse. God demands a dreadful sacrifice. But how can this altar bring blessing to the world? Doesn't it look like a God end, a dead end to every one of God's promises? No. Second, God commends faith that holds nothing back. God commends faith that holds nothing back. God slams on the emergency brake. Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham has passed the test. He held nothing back, not even Isaac. And what God does next proves that Abraham was right to trust him. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. It's actually the second time in the story that Abraham has looked up. Do you remember the first time he looks up and he sees the mountain in the distance? And that must have been a look of fear and dread. And now here is a look of sheer joy as he sees the ram. And so Abraham gives this mountain a wonderful new name. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham held nothing back because he knew that God would always provide. Nothing, absolutely nothing, can ever stop God from fulfilling his promises to those who trust him. Not even death, as you see in that, those verses from Hebrews on the sheet. Let me just read those. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. 
Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, Abraham really did believe that he and Isaac would return from the mountain. And he had, two, he had faith in two apparently contradictory things at the same time. Isaac would die and Isaac would rise again. And that is a picture of every one of God's promises. Every one of God's promises is rooted in hope of resurrection. And so God commends faith that holds nothing back because true Christian faith believes that God raises the dead. But what does God use that kind of faith for? Well, this is the third scene. God confirms his worldwide blessing. He confirms his worldwide blessing. And in verses 15 to 18, God repeats every promise he's made to Abraham since Genesis 12 as a bit of a highlights reel of Abraham's life. He swears by himself, verse 16. It's like he's putting his promises in bold type and underlining them. And he says, verse 16, because you have done this. Verse 18, because you have obeyed me. So the way Abraham is obedient guarantees that God will bless the world. And it is similar today but also crucially different. You see, God still demands an obedient faith. He still demands a dreadful sacrifice from you and me if we follow Jesus. Remember Jesus said, whoever would follow me must take up their cross and follow me. A Christian life is about sacrificing our own interests for the interests of others, willing to give God everything. And those small acts of sacrifice that we make in our lives, maybe that you make here in Parliament in your work life, maybe in your family life or with others, can bring blessing to the world. But God's worldwide blessing comes ultimately through the most dreadful sacrifice, the most obedient faith that this story ultimately points to. So if we were to continue to read through the Old Testament, we would see that a burnt offering, Leviticus chapter 1, is an atoning sacrifice. It takes away sin. If we were to read through to 2 Chronicles 3, we would see that Solomon builds the temple on Mount Moriah. And year after year, the Israelites commemorated Isaac's near sacrifice there. But the blood of rams could never take away sin. Another sacrifice was needed for that. Abraham said, didn't he, God will provide a lamb. But he didn't. He provided a ram instead to show us that a lamb was still to come. But Abraham was spot on when he said, God will provide a lamb. That is my son. Because Jesus came carrying wood on his back, trudging up another mountain, bound by Roman soldiers and slaughtered. It was Abraham's son who died in Isaac's place and in ours too. And so God confirms his worldwide blessing at the cross. As we've uh, worked through those three scenes, I wonder where you most see yourself in the story. Maybe in Abraham's faith. Maybe in Isaac's near sacrifice. And we are called to obey like Abraham. We are called to take up our cross like Isaac. But I want to suggest to you that the strange epilogue of this story, verses 20 to 24 actually shows us where we really belong. So on the face of it, you read that and you think, what is this doing here? But just notice the way verse 20 begins, sometime later Abraham was told, very similar 
to the beginning, sometime later God tested Abraham. It's meant to go in this story. And as we read about Nahor's family, we think, oh my goodness, he was so much more successful than, than Abraham, his brother. Look how many children he's got. Twelve. How many has Abraham got? One, and he sent him away, and another, and he almost killed him. They are squeezed, though, into five verses, and Isaac gets 19 all by himself. And I think that is a, a way of showing that God's blessing doesn't come through anyone else, only through Abraham's son. The unbelieving world may look prosperous and successful and in the majority. Maybe it looks like that to you. But it is just a gathering of Nahal's family, really. You and I, by nature, are children of Nahal, children of Adam. We are outside of the blessing of God. And we need the dreadful sacrifice of Abraham's son, God's son, Jesus Christ. We need him to willingly walk up the mountain before us. Isaac didn't know what was coming. Jesus did. But he held nothing back. He was the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So let me encourage you today. Trust Jesus. Absolutely. For yourself. For our country. For the world. And hold nothing back. Because whatever you give up, God is no man's debtor. He's already given up his son. And whatever promise we trust, it's always rooted in the hope of resurrection life. Should we bow our heads and pray? Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together again this week. And we thank you for this wonderful story, true story, that describes your great sacrifice for us through Christ. Help us, Lord, to take up our crosses, whatever that might mean. Help us, Lord, to obey you and to trust you absolutely. And um, help us today to remember that the blessing of God comes through Jesus and his death for us and his resurrection from the dead. For we ask all these things in his name. Amen.